Well, good morning, and thank you for joining with us. And mom, special welcome to you, and glad that you are here today. I want to begin this morning asking you to think about two things that you're going to think are totally opposite from each other, and how are we going to relate these two things together? The first one I want you to think about is your tongue, right? This is something that's part of us that we probably don't think a whole lot about, but I want you to think a little bit about your tongue. How many of you, maybe you can raise your hands, you can do a trick with your tongue? Anybody do touch their nose? Before we've, we've got some examples of tricks for those of us who can't do them. Uh, you, can, you can practice these uh, as the sermon goes on. We've got a couple different things you can try and do with your tongue there. I think we actually don't think about our tongues very much, um, but the average tongue is between 3.1 and 3.3 inches long, a couple random facts about your tongue. It weighs somewhere between 2.1 and 2.5 ounces or one-eighth of a pound, if you're curious. Uh, Uniquely, the longest tongue in the world was 3.97 inches long, so if you can imagine, almost four inches was the longest tongue. Maybe the most famous tongue in the world is uh, on Gene Simmons from Kiss. You can see him uh, right there. You know, the tongue is just a weird thing to talk about, right? But it's actually eight separate muscles. That I thought was interesting. So there's eight separate muscles that make this thing in our mouth work that make words come out. And you're like, what? But it's not attached to anything. So they're like, they're not attached to a bone. Your tongue's not. So I learned lots about the tongue this week as I was researching for this. So 2,000 to 10,000 taste buds that fall off every 10 to 14 days. So that means that maybe one of these days I will actually eat Brussels sprouts and like them. But until then, I'm just going to keep, I'm going to trust my nose at that point, I think is where I'm going to go. Um, the tongue tastes salty, sweet, sour, bitter, and umami. That was the new thing I learned this week. I didn't even know what that was. Apparently, that's savory, and it's the biggest taste sensor on your tongue. So uh, if you see that, so it's the savory, it deepens flavor. But yeah, so all those favorite things that we love are those things we're thinking about, or you can think about all the things you ate as you walked in this morning. All right, so thought one, you've got your tongue. Everybody's thought about your tongue more than you've ever thought about your tongue before, right? It's there. Some of you are still trying to figure out if you can make those shapes with your tongue. All right, that's thought one. Thought two, uh, wisdom. When you think about wisdom, who do you think of? Who's the wisest person you know? Why would you say they're so wise? Is wisdom different than intellect? Can you be wise and not intellectually smart? Can you be intellectually smart and not wise? If I think about fictitious characters who I think are really wise, maybe one of the first one that comes to my mind is Gandalf. So I'm a Lord of the Rings fan. I don't know if it's the big beard or the hat or just the way he carries himself. But Gandalf is always on point and often there to give sage advice to various members of the Baggins family as they try to return the ring to Mordor, right? And they they deal with this thing that they've got. Maybe one of the things that Gandalf said that ties mostly to the sermon series we're in the middle of right now is all we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that's given us. If you've been joining us for the last couple weeks, uh, you know we're in the middle of this series we're calling Losing Our Marbles. 
where we're looking at how what we invest over time in the life of a kid actually matters. And we've been reminded by this ball pit that I love to just kind of pick up and mess with all every week is there are 936 weeks in a kid's life from the time they're born to the time they turn 18. And that's when parents, you have the biggest influence in their life. And church, we get to walk alongside those parents and support them. And over the last two weeks, we've talked about how time invested over time in a kid's life gives them a history. We talked about last week how love over time gives a kid worth. And so today, we're going to be looking at how words over time can set a kid's direction. How the words we speak over time can help form the direction of this. And to help us do that, we're going to look at the biblical book of James. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to James chapter 3. And we'll be looking at what James has to say about words and speech and how he adds a little bit of wisdom into that. So I'm starting in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 10 and take a break and talk about it and then pick up the end of it there. So James chapter 3. Verse 1, dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Can we just pause there for a minute, right? Like, that's a lot. I just want to say, like, I want you to know we feel that burden, and uh, it, is, it is real. If maybe there was a part that I could just be like, I'm going to ignore that verse of the Bible. I, I don't, but if I could, this would be the one. I'm like, I feel like I get in enough trouble. I don't need extra judgment, but... The words we use are important, and so I want you to know that's, that's, it's highlighted, but for a different reason in my Bible. Verse 2, indeed, we all make mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish. But no one can tame the tongue. It's a restless and it is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. I want to pause there for just a minute. James has some harsh words to say about our tongues. He doesn't mince words at all. And this is not the first time in the book of James he's talked about them or he said harsh things. If you go back all the way to James 1.26, he says, If you claim to be religious but can't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. You say, I think James repeatedly pushes this issue of our words because James understands what I hope we understand by the end of our time together today. And that is words matter. The words we use matter. And skillfully crafted words can shape someone's future. 
They have the ability to determine the direction a kid is going to go. Just like that small rudder on the ship or a bit in a horse's mouth. The words we speak into the lives of our kids and into the lives of the people around us can set their direction. Let me give you an example. So I went to college to be a physical therapist. I had my life planned out. I actually went to a college that didn't have physical therapy, though that was my problem. See, I grew up in West Virginia, and I had one commitment that I was not going to school in West Virginia. I was getting out when it was time to go. And so I enrolled at Taylor University. I didn't get into the main campus. I was not the smartest kid in school. Maybe I could have been if I'd applied myself, but I didn't do much homework. So I ended up at the branch campus. They're like, you just need to be here for a year. Your grades will improve. You can transfer down. Then you can do physical therapy. Great. We graduate five years. In seven years, I have my own practice. And then it's going to be money, money, money from then. That was my life goal. And I went to freshman public speaking class. And again, because I really applied myself to my academics, uh, I had to give a a uh, persuasive speech, and my persuasive speech was on lazy Christianity. And I did this because I didn't have to do any research because I just lived it for the previous six years of my life. So I was like, I can talk about what it is to be a lazy Christian and why you shouldn't do that. And so that was my persuasive speech, and I walked out, and two people in my class walked up to me, and they said, you're going to be a pastor. And I was like, <laughs> No, that's really funny. You obviously don't know who I am. You don't know what I've done. You don't have a clue. And they're like, no, it doesn't matter. You're going to be a pastor. And I was like, "Mm, funny, no. Those words never left my head. I fought them for a long time. I went home and talked to my youth pastor, and he's like, well, yeah, I just didn't know if you were ever going to grow up. (laughs) He was a great guy. I love him. But how do the words we speak influence a kid's life? Can we be honest? Maybe the hardest place we speak words in a kid's life is on the sports field. Or at a piano recital or before a test in school. Dads, I'll pick on you for a minute because I think we all kind of struggle with this a little bit, right? Right? Like, we... we, We maybe don't always say the most encouraging things, but we want them to succeed. Moms, if this is you, I'll let you you self-opt into this one. But when we watch our kids play on a sideline, what are the words we're yelling? Are they encouraging? Are they words that lift up? Are the pregame pep talks in the car or the big speech if you're the coach of the team, are they actually encouraging kids or are they just rants to help get them motivated that ultimately are stressing them out or wearing them down. What about the talk after the game or after the performance or after the play when somebody forgot their lines or after the test that didn't come back with the score we all hoped everybody would have on it? What does that car ride home feel like? What does that after game meeting feel like? How do we use those words to speak in to a kid's life? Fuller Youth Institute, who's doing some of the best research right now on adolescents and young adults, says that maybe there's only six words our kids need to hear when they go to play an instrument, act in a play, or play a sport. And those six words are, I love to watch you play. 
I love to watch you play. Parents, how would that change what our kids hear? Now, please don't hear me say this. I am the last guy ever to be like, you know what? I think we should just hand out participation trophies to everybody. That is not who I am. I am ultra competitive. I think there should be winners. There should be losers. But I think it matters how we talk. I think it matters how we critique the way kids play. I think it matters how we give constructive feedback. And I think the words that we give in each one of those times, whether that's after a game, whether that's after a hard test, whether that's after a musical recital that didn't go the way everybody thought it was going to go, how do we come alongside that person, love them, love our kids, but say, hey, here's where we need to go. This is how we need, this is what happened. Let's get better at that. Let's keep practicing that. Let's keep working on that. And as we think about five to one, this isn't just for parents, it's for those of us who are coaches or teachers. What do your kids think when they walk into your classroom? How do the words we speak into their lives build them up? James says, small thing. The tongue is a small thing, but it has words and power to set direction in a kid's life. Thoughtless words, if, if words skillfully used can shape someone's future, thoughtless words can absolutely destroy someone's life. I might argue that whoever said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, I think they actually lived under that rock. I think we can all think about people whose lives have been hurt or ways we've been hurt when people said words to us that were harsh or hurtful. James says it's like a fire. It's a spark. And we can go, oh, a spark. Here's a visual picture of what a spark can do. The Marshall wildfires in Colorado last December, one power line fell over, sparked some grass, and at 11 a.m. south of Boulder, that fire began. And by 5 p.m. that night, it had consumed three almost entire communities. It was spreading at football field links in seconds. 200 and 370 homes in one town, 210 in another, a hotel, a shopping center, and a hospital all set ablaze by, the power, by a spark. We look at those pictures, those images of fire, and we go, it's so devastating. James says our words are exactly the same way. If we're not careful how we use them. Parents, how well do you fight? I will tell you, my wife and I have been married uh, 22 years in August. When you get married in 2000, you always remember how many years. It's great. You just look at the year and go, it's not August yet, 22. All right. 22 years in August. I'll tell you, we didn't fight fair for a long time in our marriage. We would react instead of listen. We would use angry words. We would insult or tear down to win the argument. And it was equal opportunity on both sides. Is that what our kids are seeing at home? 
That's my question. Because mom and dad, if we want our kids to respect each of us, they need to see us respecting each other. Dads, if you want your kids to look up to their mom, how well do you respect her with the words you say to her in their presence? Moms, if you want your kids to feel like your dad, their dad is capable of doing things, how do you talk about him or to him or about his capabilities to get things done in front of them? Our words matter. And over time, they will set the direction of a kid's life. James' language is not mincing any words. He says in verse 8 and 9, maybe his harshest words, but no one can tame the tongue. It's restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. Anybody else maybe use their worst words on Sunday? How often do we sit in this room or we sit on our couches, we watch TV, we have this experience and we go, I feel so uplifted, I feel so great, I heard the word of God preached, it was, the guy was okay, the word of God was great, the songs were good, this was an incredible experience. Then we get in the car, right? And we drive home, for those of you in the room, we get in the car and we drive home and somebody cuts us off on 116. And all of a sudden, the words that just sang praise songs and told God how much we love him are not telling the person who cut us off how much we love them. Or maybe your takeout order is wrong for those of you at home. And how do we respond to that person? We often eat out on Sunday afternoons because it's just easier than cooking. And the other day, we were at Blue Margarita. There was a family sitting behind us in the booth, and they were talking all about how great their worship service was. They never said one kind word to the waitress. They complained about their drinks being empty. They complained about their chips and salsa being empty. They complained about this. They, they individualized every order and they told her what an awful job she was doing. All the while talking about how great their church service was. It was everything I could do to stay in my seat. How do the words we use reflect our faith? I don't think it's any, any coincidence at all that the same muscle that tastes our food speaks the words. So as you look back over the words you've spoken this week, have they been salty? Maybe a little bite to them, a little anger, a little frustration. Have they been bitter? Have people walked away from conversations with you feeling sour? Have we used our words to tear down, to gossip, to lie, to make ourselves look better than we really are? Or have our words been sweet? Have the words we've spoken left people encouraged, affirmed, inspired, challenged, How do the words we speak reflect how God makes us feel? What about the words we've typed on a screen or shared on social media? 
How do they speak to those who are reading them? What about the words you speak to yourself? Maybe that's where our harshest words come sometimes. In the words we speak to ourselves. In which one of those taste centers did those words land? You see, we so flippantly and often quickly say words without thought that strike at the image of God that he's given to each of these people. But these words have the power to shape our kids' future. Now, before you all walk out of here and you're like, oh my gosh, this was the worst Mother's Day sermon ever. I just feel awful about the words I've used. Don't miss James's encouragement. And I think it is encouragement. He's honest. James says, everybody makes a mistake. We would be perfect if we could control our tongues. And no one can control their tongue, right? So it's like this uphill battle to start. James is like, okay, so if that's true, then what do we need to do? Take a look at James chapter 3, verse 11. He says, does a spring of water bubble out from both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you're bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For whoever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every kind of evil. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It's also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and the fruits of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. I don't know what your life was like growing up, but mine was often about when we said words we weren't supposed to say, we got a bar of soap in our mouth, right? Wasn't always the best thing. I think maybe what James is saying is we don't need a bar of soap for our mouth, so much as we actually need a heart transplant. Listen to the words of the psalmist. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart. You see, when we follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells in our heart and changes us from the inside out. It's not something we do on our own. But God gives us a new heart. Listen to the words of Paul in Galatians 5, and 23. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. If we're going to learn to control our tongues, it's not going to be in our strength. It's going to be by the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of our hearts. We have to allow God to change what's inside us. 
So that what comes out comes from a heart that's set on what God wants. And if we're going to impact the faith of our kids and the faith of the next generation, then we have to let God change our heart. Because James says, you don't get fresh water from a salty spring. So if our hearts are a little salty, a little angry, a little frustrated, that's what's going to come out. But if we let God do the work in our hearts, and the Holy Spirit remind us that the people we're speaking to, our coworkers, our neighbors, our spouses, our kids, they are God's unique creation. Knit together by him and by his hand. And we are too. We are masterpieces, Paul says in Hebrews 2.10. And we're ambassadors who carry the message of the gospel to share the love of Jesus with the world around us. We need to allow God to change our hearts so that the words that come out of our mouth point people to him. Our words matter over time because they're going to give a kid direction. And so maybe what we need to do is think before we speak. And when I say think, it's an acronym. The T stands for true. Are we speaking things that are true? In general, do we speak truth? Do we type truth? Do we research the things we put on social media so that they're true? Or are we spreading gossip and lies to make ourselves look better? To tear somebody else down so that we get lifted up? Have we checked it? Second, are the things we're saying helpful? Are we saying things that encourage somebody? Are we offering wanted advice, right? How many of you have somebody in your life? You can raise your hands. Don't look at anybody. Just look down, raise your hands. How many of you have someone in your life who's really good at giving unwanted advice, right? So we've all been there, right? We've got a couple people who just give us unwanted advice. That's not helpful. But when we need critique, when we need somebody to speak truth, do we, hey, I have an idea that I think will make the thing you're doing even better. Would you be open to hearing that? That's a lot different than walking up to somebody and just being like, hey, I think you need to do this next time. How do we take the time to invest in them to actually see if they want to hear what we have to say? I, are our words intentional? The last thing I want us to walk out of here and struggle with is like, man, I've got a ton more to do now, right? Like, that's not the goal. The goal is not that you walk out a Sunday morning with a longer checklist of things you have to do. This is stuff we can't do on our own anyway. It's about surrendering to the Holy Spirit. But it is when we're being intentional about making the most of our daily rhythms, Moses, when he's speaking to the Israelites in Deuteronomy, gives them an idea of what that looks like. He's telling them how they need to share the biblical truth with their kids and share the stories and share what they've seen and share God's commands. And so in Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7, he says this, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house 
when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lay down and when you rise. Parents, how are we doing on Monday morning? When our kids are getting out of bed and maybe they're not getting out of bed. I don't know what your house is like. Mine is often like, would you hurry up? You need to eat. You need to brush your teeth. You can't wear that shirt. Change your clothes. Get ready. Get your backpack. Get out. The bus is coming. Hurry, 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 hurry. What if in the midst of all that rush, which I know is inevitable. I get it. It's going to happen. What if in the midst of all that rush, we could find 30 seconds before a kid walked out the door to say, hey, before you start today, I want to pray with you. And when we ended that prayer, the last thing they heard before they got on that bus was, I love you. How do we begin to be intentional? Maybe you're a neighbor, maybe you don't have kids, but you see the kids standing out there every day at the bus stop. Hi, don't be creepy about it, but hi. Right? Like, how you doing? What about as we're racing from activity to activity? How are we making the most of the time in the car? Is it silent? Is it everybody but the driver on their phone? I'm just going to assume it's everybody but the driver. No texting and driving. Are we asking how their day went? What about mealtimes? Or whenever your family slows down. I don't ever want this to become legalistic. Like all of a sudden we've got to count our meals. Like, okay, we've had two meals this week at the dinner table and three meals in front of the TV. We need to have another meal at the dinner table, right? Like that's not my goal. But what's your family rhythm? What's Saturday morning look like for you? Often that's a relaxing time for our family. I get up first and I'm normally sitting in the front room and the boys will come down and they trickle down and then eventually Corey comes down. and It's time to sit and be quiet for a minute. How do we make the most of those rhythms, those times when you get maybe just 15 minutes to slow down and before they go to bed? What's the last thing they hear at night? Are we intentional with our words, with the time we have, with the natural rhythms we've got? Think, is it necessary? How many times do we say something to a peer smart or to look better than we are. If I'm honest, when I go back to James 3.1, this is my like struggle. Like what, what makes it into the sermon? Am I saying that just to get a laugh? Am I saying that because it's actually going to be helpful? Am I saying that because we've, we've got to have a 28-minute sermon, so I've got to add something in here to get to 28 minutes? Are our words necessary? Or would maybe what that person sitting across from us needs is just for us to be quiet and listen. Is what we're saying necessary? And last, are they kind? Are the words you're speaking affectionate, caring? Do they flow from godly wisdom out of your heart? We need to think about what we're saying. Maybe we need to think about Gandalf's words. He might have been right. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that's given to us. We're living in some of the most anxious, stress-filled, and pressure-filled moments we've ever lived in. 
again, Fuller Youth Institute did a research for 13 to 25-year-olds. Since spring of 2020, their anxiety rates as of January 2022 have tripled. Depression has quadrupled. The number two leading killer of 10-year-olds to 25-year-olds is suicide. One in three kids have suicidal thoughts on a regular basis. How are the words we're speaking? This is one of those really tangible things. How are the words we're speaking over time impacting the faith of the next generation? Maybe the best way for us to spend our time if we listen to the words of Gandalf is to actually encourage them. Before we go too far, though, I want to ask you a question that I want you to think about. Would the people who know you, your coworkers, or someone who doesn't know you at Target, would they know you're a follower of Christ before you told them based on the words you speak? Would they know? Would they know that we love Jesus before we told them that? James 1.5 says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. So today as we close, I want to give you a time to just talk to God a little bit privately by yourself. Maybe you need to ask for, for wisdom. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness. James is clear, we're all not free of this. Everybody's in it. What's the faith of the next generation worth? And how will we use our words this week to give a kid direction, encouragement, and love in their life? Let's pray. If you're new and this feels a little weird, it's just a time to sit and talk quietly to God. Time for us to confess things we've done wrong. Time for us to thank him for what he's done for us. Maybe there's someone, a kid in your life who you just want to pray for right now. Use this time. God, thank you so much for your son. God, that no matter what we do, you will always forgive us. God, James says we all mess up with our words and we're sorry for the ways we've messed up with our words this week, for the ways we've been sharp or short or pointed or cruel to someone. God, we ask for your forgiveness. God, we ask for wisdom to see. To see what the kids around us need. We ask, God, that you would transform our hearts to be more like you. So that the words we speak on a daily basis would draw people closer to you. 
would provide encouragement for them, would show them that there's a God who loves them. God, that you would make us people who others want to come to for advice when they're struggling. God, help us live like the faith of the next generation means everything to us. We pray all this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.